This is Boss Ladies. Hello and welcome to Boss Ladies. I just had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Heidi Hoop. She is the president and chief growth officer at Knox Health and an absolute boss lady. We talked about how to get on boards. So anyone interested in finding their way onto the first board or, you know, learning, looking to learn a little bit more about what an experience is like on a board. This is definitely the interview for you to check out. We also talk about diversity and inclusion. We talk about career pivots and why they're actually super important and what they can do for you. And then we also talk a little bit about hiring and how to make sure you are focusing on diversity, inclusion, and equity when you're going through the hiring process. So excited to share this interview with you and check it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies. I am so honored and excited to have you here with me today. Oh, thank you, Olivia. The honor is mine, really. Can you start by just giving us sort of a a quick overview of your career journey that's led to your role as president and chief growth officer at Knox Health? Oh, I'd be happy to. Well, I grew up a kid in the Midwest. I like to say I spent my first 25 years in the state of Minnesota or thereabouts. And I really grew up mostly in the media business, uh, media and advertising. I loved storytelling. I was that kid that loved English and loved finding just the right word to tell the story or have the impact. And so I went to school at the University of Minnesota for journalism and worked at in ad agencies and media companies early in my career, really building brands and leveraging that smart storytelling skill to drive commercial revenue. Um, I always had a through line of health and wellness. I, I had a personal passion for health and wellness. So I think I was drawn to brands that um, were creating services or solutions in that space and um, and spent my time, you know, leveraging my storytelling abilities in that in that advertising and, and media and marketing space early on. And how did you land the role at Knox? Well, that's a great story. I, I spent time, you know, as I moved through my career, I went deeper and deeper into healthcare and I had the opportunity, one of my first female mentors, a woman by the name of Dorothy Gemmel, hired me at WebMD in 2008. And I remember it was a really fun kind of value exchange. I said, you know, I work for a a a media company that's doing print and starting to do digital. And I really want to get more depth in the digital space. I was at sort of an inflection point in my career. And she said, I have a proposition for you. If you come run this business unit for me, that's primarily print, but moving into digital, I will teach you everything you need to know about the digital space. And so that was one of those you know, inflection points when you look back on your career and she hired me and she made good on her proposition. And I spent eight years there. And that taught me not only a little bit more about the clinical aspects of healthcare and about how to message not only to consumers or patients um, kind of on the WebMD side of the house, but also how to create content and education and promotion for physicians and healthcare providers. with their sister company, Medscape. So I spent quite a bit of time there. And then I also had a couple of turns at um, a couple of different point of care companies um, in doing digital content within physician offices, creating messaging that was helping people, you know, stay healthier and have thoughtful conversations with physicians within the doctor's office. And so um, you can kind of start to 
see the through line of healthcare and content and storytelling. And then I had another one of those um, serendipity moments where uh, one of the women who was a junior partner at one of the investment funds that had invested in one of the companies I'd worked at and I had coffee, I was really at that moment where I was thinking, all right, I want to make myself a little uncomfortable and learn and do more within healthcare. Um, but I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. You know, I kind of, I know my game right now. I know the players, I know the clients, I know the people, I know the business model, but I want to challenge myself, you know, one of those kind of midlife inflection points. And we had coffee and she said, you've got to come to this company called Lavongo. And I said, "La what? And she <laughs> said, oh, it's this great company called Lavongo, which is sort of short for, for live on the go. And it was a company that was really transforming healthcare and helping people living with diabetes better manage their care and, and live a fuller life in home, in their homes, kind of meeting them where they were through the use of mobile technology and a full care team and really wrapping wraparound support for fitness and diet and well-being and, and healthcare. And I said, wow, that sounds interesting. So I leaned in, I learned about it, and I ended up getting a, a, an amazing role leading um, several of the client teams at Livongo. And really the, the challenge at that time was how do I help create more strategic and consultative storytelling and selling uh, within those teams? And lo and behold, we were at that incredible beginning of COVID when Everything that was remote healthcare just exploded in a positive mm -hmm. way. Um, we all had to figure out how we were going to take care of ourselves, but do it in the four walls of our home. So I gladly joined the company, learned a ton along the way. And then less than a year after joining the company, we were acquired by a company called Teladoc Health with a record multiple and one of the largest deals that had happened in health tech and um, just an, another incredible inflection point for me, which I call one of the positives of COVID. That's an amazing story. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a lot of learning in a, in a short period of time. I think a lot of us had to change the way we thought and did business and learned and grew or challenged ourselves to grow during COVID. And COVID in many ways was an accelerator to business one of the areas that it was a big accelerator is in all things sort of mobile technology and remote. So if you think about yourself in COVID, you know, when you're first living in your house, you started ordering things online even more than you ever had done before. You started um, thinking about doing everything on your mobile application or on your computer more than you ever had before. And healthcare to some extent was no different. You started thinking about having to access care for yourself in a way that was going to meet your needs and make you comfortable during COVID. And that great accelerator of healthcare technology really pushed the healthcare industry forward. And I had the um, wonderful benefit of being a part of Livongo and then Teladoc. And I stayed at Teladoc for about a year, you know, after the acquisition or the merger of the two companies. And then I found I really missed an earlier stage company. I, I enjoyed the challenge of merging two larger organizations and all of the culture merging and the business line merging that came 
and the team merging that came with that. But I missed building Mm -hmm. teams and I miss being a part of an earlier stage company where I really felt like I was having tremendous impact. And I got a call from Knox Health and um, there were, again, a number, a series of things that were sort of, you could call them serendipity. Sometimes I call them God winks where Mm -hmm. I just felt like I had to lean in and listen. And I guess if I'm thinking about advice lines, one of the things I would tell people is lean in and listen when those things are happening, be open to them, lift your head up every now and again and pay attention and then lean in and listen to those cues. Um, and in this case, I got a, a phone call that showed up as a 612 number that happens to be the, the area code for Minnesota. And I thought, oh, it's somebody I know from you know my past life. And I picked up and it turned out to be a recruiter. And, you know, small world story, he lived not far from where I grew up. And then um, further small world, I happened to be 70% Nordic. And it was for a company that was based in Reykjavik, Iceland, Mm -hmm. and had a bunch of Nordic founders. So I sort of leaned in and listened there. And then the company, um, Knox Health, where I am now, was really dedicated to helping people sleep better. And Mm -hmm. at this stage of the game for me, you know, kind of in my wonderful middle years, you know, sleep is, is sometimes fleeting. A hundred percent of us need sleep and 50% of us struggle with it. And I think about women and all they have on their plate, particularly executive women who are balancing, juggling work and home. Some of us are, you know, hitting those middle age moments where sleep is even harder to come by. And it was just really intriguing to me. I thought I could lean on my storytelling mm-hmm. and talk about sleep in a way that would share, you know, share with people that that needed it out there how powerful it could be. So that's really how I joined Knox Health and that was about 6 months ago. That's so exciting. And you know, you and I had talked prior to this interview about um sort of like career pivots and why those are so important and so valuable. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that and and why pivots in your career can be a beneficial but b maybe not as scary as they might seem? Yeah, I've you know, I've evolved. We've all learned, right, through our careers. I think when I began my career at a, at a younger age, uh I I really believed a little more in that linear path. You know, you you mm-hmm. join an amazing company, you commit and you continue to look for opportunities within the company. And I and I had a couple of amazing runs. You know, the first time I was at Time Inc, I was there for just under 10 years. I was at WebMD for eight years, and I kept getting interesting and challenging roles within the same company. So I followed that linear path. But as I matured in my career, and I think as my confidence built mm-hmm. and my dexterity with my skill set built, I realized that I could have confidence in moving more quickly. Uh, you and I have a mutual friend, Pearl Collings, who is mm-hmm. a friend and mentor of mine. She's the CEO of a company called Contently. And I remember her telling me a story of how pragmatic she was about joining new organizations and saying, I'm very straightforward about the amount of time that I'm going to give them in, you know, in the tour of duty that I'm joining Mm -hmm. to give them. And I found that incredibly refreshing, a little startling at first, but really refreshing. And I think it turned my, it was one of the data points that sort of turned my thoughts towards, wow, maybe I don't need to be at a company five years or 10 years to give the value that I have Mm -hmm. to give. 
you know, maybe I can pivot more quickly. So that was one insight, not to say it's, it's better or worse to stay at one company longer or to jump around from different companies when you're ready. But I think you can give yourself credit for both. And I think Mm -hmm. listening to your gut and knowing when it's right and knowing when you have felt like you've given the value that you have to give and that you've gotten the value that the company has to give you, that that value exchange is good. Um, You need to listen to those cues. The other thing I'd say about career pivots is to challenge yourself. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable because that is where you learn and grow. And it's just as scary when you're 50 as when you're 25 to change companies and to put yourself out there when you feel like you know less than everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I moved from healthcare and more of the content and the marketing space into healthcare SaaS, you know, uh, software as a solution, or as I like to say, sleep as a solution, <laughs> not self. But, you know, you can absolutely, the skill set is translatable, it's transferable. Mm-hmm. And challenging yourself to learn and grow gives back exponentially on the back end. So get comfortable being uncomfortable and, and being confident making those career pivots when it feels right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. And, you know, I think that's something that is always going to be scary, sort of like what you said, you know, like, I think that looking back and, you know, I worked in ad tech before now I work in music and podcasting tech. At that point, I was like, I remember my last day at my last job so vividly. I was like crying. I was like, what am I doing? This is so scary. And now I'm like, it was so fun. It was so worth it. You know? um, and I learned so much from it. So I think that's, that's amazing advice. I do want to jump topics a bit and talk about getting on a board and what that process is like. So how, how do you get on your first board and what is your experience being on a board like? Oh, thanks for asking. That was just one of those wonderful inflection points in my career as well. Uh, you know, my I guess my advice, I, I'll circle back as well, but one of the things I would say is put yourself out there and mm-hmm. ask for it. You know, all the amazing women that I've met that are on boards have said, you need to ask. You, you, you know, you can't assume that your network knows that you want to be on a board, whether it's a you know nonprofit board or a smaller for-profit board or a, a larger public company board, you know you you need to put yourself out there. It's it's not unlike marketing yourself when you're first getting into the into the workforce mm-hmm. or when you're trying to pivot careers or you're trying to get a promotion. You you need to pitch, if you will. And so one of the first recommendations that I would make is for people to lean into executive female empowerment organizations. So it's a big passion of mine, both inside of my employer and outside. I belong to an organization called Chief, which does a lot of really amazing education around getting on boards and highlights incredible female members of boards. Mm -hmm. I also had the distinct advantage of getting to know the Fortune Most Powerful Women Group, which is another incredible organization. There's been a very powerful conference called the Fortune Most Powerful Women Conference that's gone on for more than 25 years now, where several of the Fortune, dozens of the Fortune 500 female executives, many on boards, gather and are extremely approachable and extremely helpful 
Um, I started a, a group in Chicago called Power Women Windy, which was mm-hmm. a spinoff of a group that I joined in New York called Power Women. And we do a lot of work on how to become a part of a board and how to create a board bio. So I would lean into as many resources as you can. Mm-hmm. And then I would start that first board bio. It's like my daughters who are 18 and 19 years old right now and are in college. And I'm creating with them their first resumes, helping them create their first resumes. It's it's the same thing, just a little bit different, creating a board bio and then asking for help. And not only asking your female um, mentors and supporters mm-hmm. and network, but also asking your male allies and supporters and mentors. Because if you look at the statistics, there's obviously still more men on boards and Mm -hmm. there's a condition called overboarding where people continually get asked the same cohort of people continually get asked to be on boards so if you put yourself out there and you say next time you get asked about a board in this area i'd love you to think about me because Mm -hmm. that's a goal of mine the other the other thing i would tell you just from my own personal story I had been consulting with a private equity firm on one of their portfolio companies in the healthcare space. And about a year after, you know, they had inquired with me about consulting, they called and said, you know, we're looking at um, adding to our board Mm -hmm. and we think you would be fantastic. And I had to pause, I had to mute the phone for a second so I could do like a whole... (laughs) I can't believe they just said that. Wait, is that right? And did they say paid? Did they actually get paid? I had to just have like a freak out moment. And then I calmly went back on the phone and said, yes, yes, of course, I'd like to understand more. <laughs> but, um, but the point was, you know, sometimes you just have to lean in because sometimes things happen when they're least expected. Fast forward, I've now been on a, an amazing uh, board, which is a part of a private equity firm in Chicago. And um, it's the board is called Solus Mammography, which is a, another passion of mine because it's women's health. It's actually a fantastic network of mammography centers um, that have what they call the peace of mind mammogram, which actually literally doesn't hurt in my case or hurts less. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it is literally an amazing experience. And I leaned in and thought I could really help them tell the incredible story of, of how their solution was different. So put yourself out there, create a board bio, network like crazy, and then be very open to it. That's great advice all around. And one, once you're actually on the board, what does that work include? Is it very depending on the company? What's that experience been like for you? It was scary at first. You know, because everyone has about three degrees and has gone to all the, you know, Ivy League universities and knows all the, you know, hashtag like vernacular in, um, you know, in finance terms. But I, I, I realized that they asked me for a reason to be Mm -hmm. a part of the board. They had a nice depth of folks that had tremendous expertise in finance and in equity funding of companies. They had incredible clinical chops on the board. They had amazing folks that knew clinical and operations and healthcare. They really needed somebody to help them be a little bit more creative and Mm -hmm. think differently about their go-to-market strategy and their storytelling. And that was really my sweet spot. And so I guess that would be the other piece of advice for people like you and me, you know, that grew up in, in sort of the storytelling world. 
think about how you can add value because really at the end of the day, the world is about telling stories mm-hmm. and business is about telling stories. How many, how many times can you remember a particular solution or a business or a service that you remember because of the story? Boards are no different, right? They still need help telling that story. The management team of the company still needs help telling that story. So I would say, you know, that's, that's one area that I would really encourage people to lean in and be brave. And I have another idea for, for women as well, which is um, be willing to be an advisor to companies. Um, one, one of the, another story that happened to me was when I was looking for my next role in this, more in this health technology side of healthcare, I happened to have two companies I was talking to at the same time. And I was in the wonderful position of having a couple of opportunities presented to me at the same time. And I, I, you know, called the the company that I wasn't going to take the role at. And I said, you know, I have, I have kind of good news and bad news. You know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with this other company. Um, and I said, but I have, I have a proposition for you. What if I became a strategic advisor for you? What if I could carve out five hours a month and help you with my network Mm-hmm. help you with hiring, help you with strategy. It's obviously not competitive with the current company I'm going to. I have to get permission from my current company. Right. I don't think that's going to be a problem. And the CEO at the time said, that is the second best answer you could have given me. <laughs> so that's another step towards, I think, board work, being a, a strategic advisor. And you know, sometimes you can negotiate an hourly fee or equity in the company or a reference or whatever is most valuable to you. That's super interesting. Honestly, I hadn't heard about sort of what that role would be like and the potential to maybe not be on the board, but be a strategic advisor. So I think that's phenomenal advice. And it sounds like you could then take that experience if, if that's your foot in the door and leverage that to start to get on boards as well. Exactly. I want to talk to you a little bit about diversity and inclusion, as I know that's something you're extremely passionate about and, you know, you've worked with folks internationally. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how we can be better about not only diversity and inclusion, but also, of course, the equity piece as well? Absolutely. Well, I, I sort of look at it as the way the visual, I'm a visual person. I always think of a giant, beautiful patchwork quilt. Or, you know, Dolly Parton talks about her coat of many colors that her mama made for her. And I think I think of companies that way. I think each person brings their own unique piece to the company. And the company is stronger because of all these unique piece parts of the company. And the less homogenous and the more distinct mm-hmm. that you make all of those pieces, the more powerful or, in my mind, the stronger you know, the company will be. And so I've always been a big believer in um, empowering women. Obviously, I've leaned into a lot of organizations through my career, and I've really tried to mentor female leaders throughout my career. I've had some incredible mentors that I'm very grateful for, both men and women. Um, I served when I was at Livongo and then Teladoc. I served as an executive sponsor of our Pride and Allies LBGTQ plus group, because I really believe that people should feel comfortable to bring them their whole selves to work mm-hmm. and to feel like they can bring all of themselves and feel comfortable 
contributing their whole selves and also just all of their unique advantages to the company. And we want everyone to feel comfortable and that they can contribute. So that's been important to me. And, and, you know, there's obviously been dozens of studies that show empirically that results of companies that have more diversity are better than companies that don't financial, you know, dollars and cents, financial results are better. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that carries from the board, you know, on down, obviously NASDAQ is now requiring more equity in their board mix between men and women. Um, but I think it just makes a company stronger because you've got all of these different points of view coming together to create something. It's like the ultimate one plus one equals three, like Mm -hmm. in every dimension. Right. So I believe in it strongly. And then, you know, of, of late, I've had the opportunity to learn um, being a part of a company that has a, a large cohort in, in Iceland and then also in the States, you know, just the cultural differences and, and being sensitive and understanding the unique points of view that people come to the table with given where they, where they grew up and what their experience, say, with the healthcare system might be. So, again, I think we're stronger by bringing all the diversity together. And I think we, we have a long way to go. We have to keep pushing and working, but I also think that there's allies all around us and we should lean in and and be vocal about asking for support. How does this translate when you're approaching hiring someone new? How do you make sure that you're coming at it from a sort of diverse and inclusive and equitable perspective? Well, there's some great work that's being done. You know, many companies that I've spoken to are doing work to make sure that there's pay equity across the board, regardless of, you know, gender, you know, uh, sexuality, you know, race, et cetera. I think that's really important work that's being done. Um, There's also, I think, an opportunity to to just step back and and listen and learn to Mm -hmm. what each unique person is going to bring to the table. Um, I don't think you can go into it with a preconceived notion. You know, I think if you can be thoughtful about gathering the broadest, you know, um, candidate set that you can, and then really giving people opportunities to show how they could uniquely come to the table and then making sure when you're looking at teams that there feels like there's that incredibly diverse, um, set of, of players that can all bring, you know, their unique perspective, which makes for a a better whole. Yeah. It's this concept of sort of the culture fit versus culture ad and looking at the culture ad instead of the culture fit. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure there'll be a lot of articles written and studies done about culture of late. You know, we've heard about the great resignation nation. Mm -hmm. We've heard about people being even more demanding around what they're looking for from an employer. I've even heard that um, millennials trust the leaders of their companies more than they trust the politicians, you know, in local or federal government. Um, so there's a there's a heavy weight, you know, on the leadership of companies to make sure that they're creating a culture that feels inclusive and feels accepting and yet creates the same opportunity and challenge for everyone. And, um, you know, I think culture core values are incredibly important. You know, at the company that that I work for now, Knox Health, we really lead with our core values. We put them in every job description and we make a point of spending a lot of time on them in every single first interview and then subsequently because we want to make sure that people are really believing them and living them. A lot of people pay lip service to core values or they're on mm-hmm. the website, but for us, 
we really believe that they're an important part of who we are and we want to continue to have the strength in that even as we scale the company. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for employers to set themselves apart based on their culture and their core values, but they have to really believe in them and live them and anchor on them and attract talent, you know, retain talent based on them. I want to jump back to something for a second because I for- honestly forgot to ask or didn't think to ask this question uh, earlier. What, at what age should we start thinking about getting on boards? Like how many years of experience or is there a certain point in a career that it makes sense to start doing it? And is there any point that's like too soon? You know, how much experience I guess do you need? <laughs> that's a great question. I love that question. I I suspect over time, if we had this conversation in 10 years and then in another 10 years, I suspect the age would have gone down considerably. Because if you look um, at some of the moves that are being made in the market now where they're requiring a greater balance on boards of men and women, I think you'll start to see it happening younger and younger. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I guess it's a personal decision, right? I mean, the world is our oyster, right? We have a lot we want to accomplish, a lot we want to do. I happen to have three babies in my 30s that are now, you know, young people that are, you know, pushing off into the world themselves. And I think it depends on, you know, what you can handle. I will say it's a commitment. Um, You know, when you have a full-time job and if you've got other things outside of work that you're focused on, this is another, this is another piece. But, you know, when those of us that, you know, like, like to have a lot on our plates and, and can sort of handle that, I think it'll start to happen earlier and earlier. And I would just say, even if you're not ready to do it, lean in and learn about it and start Mm -hmm. to map your plan earlier and earlier. And I suspect again, you know, over the next 10 years, you'll start to see the median age come down because it's going to have to, right? And it's a, and also, by the way, there's lots of different opportunities. There's non-for-profit boards, which are a great way to cut your teeth, smaller organizations, Mm -hmm. um, organizations that might be a personal passion for you. And you can, you know, maybe it's an unpaid position, but you can lean in and kind of learn um, the dynamics of board Mm -hmm. work and the cadence. And then you can sort of start to graduate your way into other areas. The other thing I'd say is, is look for an area that's just a big passion for you and a great skill set for you as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the old, you know, don't put a square peg in a round hole, you know, find something that feels right. And then find those mentors and sponsors and be vocal about saying, this is something that's a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a few years off, you know, can you help me get there? That's such great advice. And I, I love what you're saying about sort of just getting your foot in the door and then learning and then learning and then, you know, slowly pivoting and figuring out what what you're interested in based on, you know, your skill set and, and how you want to learn and grow. I think that's amazing. My last question for you is what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? Ooh, wow. <laughs> well, as I'm sending my second kiddo, my mighty middle off to college, I would say I'm pretty happy at the moment that I have. <laughs> Two daughters, you know, one who is in college and doing well, uh, and one who is on her way. And then I still have one fantastic caboose, my little guy who's at home. But I would say, I think, I think my greatest accomplishment is really feeling like I can inspire others to be the best that they can be. You know, if I think about 
where I began to get comfortable and where I found my sweet spot and my skill set, it was identifying distinct talent, you know, diverse, powerful talent, bringing them in and creating these powerful, you know, being that alchemist that could help create this powerful team and, and really skilled businesses. And, and that's great. But along the way, probably one of the greatest gifts was when I, when I would talk to somebody who said, you really inspired me to do X, Y, Z, because mm-hmm. that's the multiple, right? Then you feel like you're not just doing for you or for your company or your family or your friends, but you're giving back, you know, you're, you're giving more than you're getting. I love the give and the get, you know, for example, when a recruiter calls me, I always try to take the call, you know, knowing I just started a new job. I'm, I'm not going to leave right now, but I'll take the call. And if, if, if it's not right for me, I'll learn a little bit about it and try to give them five names of people that I think should talk to them. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we focus on giving more than we get, you know, building our network and giving more than we get, but also inspiring people to be their best and maybe get outside their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that's probably the, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Heidi, for being on Boss Ladies. This has been such a pleasure to talk to you and to learn from you. Thank you, Olivia. It was my pleasure. What a delight. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm